What's going on, ladies and gents? Robert Sykes, KetoSavage.com, and today I have special guest Mark Katz on the line. And we're going to talk a little bit about his journey through keto, how he's gotten over his depression, and all things he's learned in doing so. Without further ado, how are you, man? Hey, Robert. I'm doing great, man. Uh, thanks for having me on your podcast today, man, to talk. You're, I just want to say that your podcast uh, was a very important part of my fitness journey, and it's just really great to actually talk to you. No, absolutely, man. It's an awesome. It's awesome for me to be able to bring on all types of guests. You know, bring on doctors, bring on you know performance athletes, bring on people that nobody's heard about, bring on people that everybody's heard about, just so I can get such a broad range and a huge spectrum of different experiences and journeys on here. Because I think that is where the value lies. Um, so yeah, man, just dive into your story, kind of what brings you here, what brings you in the keto space, and and, and just kind of give us some, give the audience some background on you. Okay, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, uh, I live in the New Jersey Shore, kind of midway between New York City and Philadelphia. I'm mm -hmm. 45 years old, and I guess I'll start from the beginning, man. I, I experienced many health issues from an early age, and the issues that have basically been compounding throughout my life. Like from birth, uh, I had some serious eye issues uh, requiring surgery as a child. There was an early onset of clinical depression, which is a devastating thing, but particularly devastating when it's you know such an early onset when you're young, um, mm -hmm. when you don't even know what it is at that point. So at 12 years old, that's when things got hit pretty hard. I developed severe psoriasis, which is an autoimmune condition. It's a painful, disfiguring skin disorder. And it, for me, it covered anywhere from like 40 to 60% of my skin. So you had to deal with the ramifications of something like that through middle school, high school, college, and you know, on through your 30s and your 40s. So that's how it started, man. But by age 40, I found myself 50 pounds overweight. I had high blood pressure, high cholesterol. I had reduced kidney function and type 2 diabetes, which I initially found out about after going uh, to the doctor for an emergency visit a few days after gorging on carbs at a, uh, at a holiday party, which uh, mm -hmm. they, apparently I was almost in a diabetic coma, and that was my wake-up call. So there I was at 40, approximately 40 at this point. I found myself on seven medications with a disfiguring skin condition and a hopeless, kind of helpless outlook, feeling sick and severely clinically depressed. Now, mm -hmm. if you don't mind, would it be all right if I talk a little bit to your listeners about depression just in general a little bit? Yeah, man, let's dive deep into it. Okay, because I just want to kind of set the table with that because depression is something that goes very much misdiagnosed or underdiagnosed, and there are millions of people out there who suffer from depression. So the first thing I want to say is that I, I believe that severe depression is a physiological condition much like diabetes, and it should be treated as a disease. Um, mm -hmm. It's not a all in your, it's all in your head type of thing where traditionally there have been many takes on it because uh, it's not, there's a stigma associated with discussing it. And I, I want to just try to bring it out into the open because I know like myself, there's a lot of people out there that suffer. There's a great lecture from Professor Robert Sapolsky at Stanford University on YouTube. It's the greatest lecture I ever heard on the subject, and I learned quite a bit from it. But I look at depression like categories of hurricanes. 
you know how each category is always like exponentially more destructive and lingering and damaging the previous one where they have a category one, a category two, category three, all the way up to five. So right. Here's how I like to break it down where I think people can understand it better. So category one is like your normal everyday range of emotion, right? You have a bad day. You're bummed out. Maybe the boss gave you a warning at work. It's a short-term thing. It passes. Something that everybody experiences. So category two maybe lasts a few days. Maybe your car's having some trouble, right? You have a fight with your spouse. You got a bad performance review at work. Not fun at all, but it's something that you're going to come out of maybe in a few days. So now category three, this is exponentially harder and darker. This is starting to get to the point where you're maybe clinical and it lasts maybe weeks, possibly to months. Maybe you lost your job. Maybe there was a death of a loved one. Or maybe you had an injury that you're looking at a really long recovery for and it's just taking you out of all the stuff, the stuff that you like to do, like, you know, like working out. But even that passes. So the clinical depression, kind of where I've been through most of my life, was like that category four, category five. It's very devastating. These are the ones that last months to years. They always reoccur. These are the mm-hmm. darkest ones. You know, you know, you can see it in people like Kurt Cobain or Chris Cornell or Robin Williams, people like David Foster Wallace, people who really struggled because it's a clinical condition. They really struggled to maintain their lives with this condition. That's extreme fatigue. It's a sense of constant hopelessness, crippling sorrow, and adrenal system that's just shot. It's burnt out. And you don't really come out of these, you know, readily. You might come out of it, but you always know it's about to rear its ugly head again. So I think it's important to talk about things like depression. There's always a stigma associated with discussing it, you know, being underdiagnosed and underreported. Uh, so I just wanted to put that out there, man. I think it's probably a good thing to address these things head on. And um, why, why do you think there is such a stigma around it? Like, why are people not willing to talk about it? Uh, that's an excellent question. I think that automatically, like, um, they don't want to be the person that's going to bring other people in their lives down that they're the one that always needs help, always needs attention. Plus, it's it's something that inherently makes you not want to establish a lot of social connections in general. So you don't really have ways to deal with it through friends and family and things of that nature. So um, that's an excellent question. And um, much like a disease, I think there is probably a scientific answer to that question. And But it's still a pretty mysterious thing. And the research continues as, you know, as they do more research with uh, brain science and things like that. They're starting to be able to answer these questions a lot more effectively. But mm-hmm. I think there's a, there are a lot of things, a lot of tools at people's disposal uh, that they can maybe help themselves out with and, you know, try to uh, deal with it. And I think significantly, I really think uh, there are a lot of methodologies to deal with. And some of those I'd love to talk with you about today and dive into. Uh, yeah, man, of, absolutely. A what, yeah, a lot of what my journey's been about, really, a vast majority of it. I, I think, I mean, for me, like you said, everybody's dealt with some degree of depression. Um, you know, my my brother was was very deeply depressed for a long time, so this, this okay. hits close to home. There, I yeah. was pretty depressed for a while too. Um, yeah. And and so I, th- this is definitely hot on my on my memory, you know. So like, I, I definitely want to dive in, and I want to just pull the curtain back and and you know reveal it for what it is and not hold back because I think a lot of people that were listening to this, they, they could benefit from it, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I say you either are in a similar situation or you absolutely definitely know somebody that's in that situation. Absolutely. So yeah, dive, dive in, man. You want to like, you did you want to start from kind of more in, in what you've dealt with or 
what your steps are for for getting out and fixing things. Yeah, yeah. Let me uh, let me bring the uh, the first part to a close and tell you like kind of where I was to where I am, and then I'll, I'm gonna want to talk about like the ways that I got there. It's like six. I have like six um, dimensions, six tools that I, I've sort of come up with, and um, so you know, and we can delve into any and all of those or to whatever extent you like. Um, they're all pretty interesting. Um, so after all that, I, I found myself like 40 years old, man kind of standing at a crossroads, you know, you feel the future is bleak. Um, you're feeling like the past was almost like a painful waste of time. That's depression is a rough thing, man. So at this point, I'm on the seven meds. I'm 40 years old. And I was like, I need to make a decision. Finally, I decided that I really couldn't accept this way of living anymore. I decided that I, you know, I, I wasn't going to lie down and crumble or just drag myself through the rest of my life. So here's what I did. <laughs> I sat down and in my head, I imagined my 80-year-old self, right? I visualized mm -hmm. him. I just actually visualized him in my head. And I promised him when I sat down with him, I, had, I made a promise that I would do everything I could to help him every chance I got. This was the turning point for me, knowing that I will eventually become this person and that it was really up to me to decide you know, which version of him I was going to end up as. So I started looking at my life more as like... Uh, as sort of like a, a game, you know, like a, a game has a first half and a second half. And I decided that I was going to win my game in the second half. So just because you got your ass kicked in the first half, it doesn't mean that you're out. And um, so I decided it was time to do the hard thing and to learn how to overcome a lot of these obstacles. So now fast forward to today, our conversation today. I started my journey about two years ago. And today I'm 40 pounds lighter. I'm about 5'11", 192 pounds roughly about 15% body fat. Um, I train hard and consistently, both resistance and endurance. I've reversed the type 2 diabetes. In fact, it's off my uh, medical chart completely, which I was told would never happen. Psoriasis is 90% under control, and more importantly, it doesn't hurt anymore. And uh, I don't, mm -hmm. there's really no cure for that, but um, you know, the treatment's been real effective. And I'm no longer feel depressed. I just experienced the normal range of emotions. Like I've always, it's all I've ever wanted this whole time. I'm off all seven medications, including uh, antidepressants, off the meds for blood pressure, cholesterol, kidney function, psoriasis, depression, and I'm on nothing right now. That's, uh, that's pretty much the whole backstory, you know? That's the path I've been navigating, man. You know, I was hoping to share and discuss some of the philosophies, tools, and methods that I picked up along the way, you know, I didn't invent any of these things. I maybe yeah, rediscovered a lot of them uh, because there's a lot of people out there dealing with some serious issues. You know, it might be you, your listeners, or it might be a friend or a relative that needs help. So I started my journey pretty late. I'm 45 years old, man. And I, I didn't get serious and I didn't feel I was even making any significant progress until about 43. So my main message, if I had to encapsulate it is this. There's a lot of people out there dealing with all kinds of physical and mental health issues, depression being particularly a devastating one. Yeah, the fact that I let literally decades go by before I even had the capacity to even get started seriously turning things around. And uh, so for a lot of us, and this definitely goes for me, the biggest challenge you may ever have to face, the biggest obstacle that you may ever have to overcome is your journey just to get to the starting line or what you know, you perceive as the starting line. So like picture, picture like one of those high school running tracks, right? Like at a high school and, um, 
you got people kneeling at the starting block at lanes one through five. Lane six is completely empty. So you hear on your mark, get set, go. Starter pistol goes off. The runners take off. Somebody takes the lead. Someone's in the middle. Some people are at the back. But all these people are essentially in the same race. They're in the race. But the person assigned to lane six, who wasn't there at the starting line, it was a mile behind the starting line. That's at least how they feel. So their their whole thing is, why, why even bother being in this race? That was me. That's the kind of person I'm hoping to reach out to the most. And, but I hope everybody, can, everybody else can take something valuable or meaningful from the story. Absolutely, man. I, I, like, I like the analogy for sure. So, so dive in. Like what, what, um, like how do you get to the starting line? Like I totally can relate with that in the sense yeah. that, you know, when you're depressed, like you feel like everything is lost. And there's like, I don't know, there's, like you said, different level, levels of depression. But when you're at the depths, the depth of your level, it's like when you have no clue what the best plan of action is, like it's every day is daunting. You know, it's like, what, what do you have to get up for? Right, right. Absolutely. That's why I think um, having some concrete tools, methods, philosophies that you can really get behind and believe in are extremely, extremely beneficial. So for me, the things that the six dimensions that I've kind of narrowed it down to, and these are the things that keep me going constantly and improving. And they've got me to from where I was to where I am. And these are the things that I think are going to help me to, you know, to flourish and to thrive. And, um, you know, the first one, I'll list them all. The first one is definitely the ketogenic diet. I mean, uh, second one for me was uh, mindfulness meditation also known as mindfulness-based mm-hmm. stress reduction. Third one is physical activity. The fourth one was establishing positive social connections. The fifth one was tapping into your creativity. And the sixth I found was experiencing a deep, profound connection with something greater than yourself. And I pair that with like reconnecting with nature and seeking natural settings. So I, have I like a whole, that a lot. whole bunch of like, uh, you know, interesting you know, uh, dimensions to all of those. We can dive into uh, a whole bunch of different ones if you like. I mean, there's so much to talk about there. You could probably do several podcasts on uh, just mindfulness meditation or on um, on the uh, the sixth one, the uh, deep spiritual connection. But um, and and these, I'm assuming, they probably didn't all come to you at at, at once. I mean, you kind of just developed them over the course of you yeah. healing yourself and getting you know out of depression. And then in hindsight, you were able to kind of figure out what the pivotal uh, pillars were, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that sort of clicked in my head when I made the decision to to make that change around age 40 was I need to educate myself. I need to find the best sources of information that I can. I can't be afraid to try things out and to just go on a journey of discovery, and which was the exact opposite of what I would do previously to that because, you know, depression sort of locks you in a pretty dark world. It really throws a lid on your ambitions and just rivets them down. So that 80 year old self, that conversation, I said, I made that promise to myself, my future self that I'm going to do everything that I can possibly can every chance I get. So education was the first step, you know, understand how the mind works, how the body works, how, how there are things that are just greater than ourselves that we need to, uh, to discover that the world just there's a deeper world. There's a, a much broader, wider world out there to be experienced. And, uh, you know, education is a wonderful thing, man. It's, it's, uh, it was my favorite part of the journey, you know, and that's a lot of the reasons that your podcast and a lot of the other 
sources of information that I discovered were so valuable to me. So with the ketogenic diet, I mean, I went strict, man. I, I went right in. I kept my fat at 80%. Um, I didn't have any bread or added sugar for two years. I was dealing with diabetes, obesity, and that brain fog. So I wanted to really reap the benefits that I heard were out there. So when I started, man, I had no idea what a ketogenic diet even was at the beginning. All I was looking to do was cut some carbs, try to reduce my uh, dose of diabetes medication that I was told I was going to need to take for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. But I was lucky, man. It was 2016 and information about the ketogenic diet you know, was popping up online and in videos and in podcasts. So I was really fortunate with the timing. You know, started out, found some bunch of podcasts at first, like Jimmy Moore and uh, the two keto dudes. And at first, I honestly didn't believe a word these guys were saying when I started listening. It didn't make any sense to me. But I decided I need to open my mind and, and keep going, keep listening. So they were talking about the basics, using fat as fuel instead of carbs, inflammation reduction, weight management, hormone regulation, controlling hunger and satiety. Those things were resonating with me. Um, you know, and then things started to level up a bit, you know, things started getting into the whole, uh, physical fitness realm with the keto evangelist and the ketogenic athlete. And, uh, then I found a guy called the keto savage. <laughs> I was listening when you, when you first started, man. And when you went, you were on, when you first started appearing on other people's podcasts and stuff like that early on, I was there listening to that stuff. Your content particularly resonated with me. And I got a lot of great information from all you guys. I learned everything from you guys because I didn't know anybody. I didn't have anybody that I could talk to um, that understood what this was or was doing it. And people that I would bring it up to thought it was crazy because mm -hmm. who, eats high, who eats high fat, you know, we've been indoctrinated for 30 years telling us the exact contrary. So it just seems so counterintuitive. I went keto, became fat adapted. Got blood work done every three months and the numbers just kept getting better and better. And I worked with my doctor and they just kept, we just kept lowering the dosage on everything until eventually we didn't, there was no more need to even prescribe these meds. I was able to get off all seven of those, including the antidepressant. So the ketogenic diet was my most favorite and powerful tool in this whole thing. It, it, it's kind of crazy, man. Like I look at, you know, how keto has impacted me and then I you know, hear you talk about it, I hear other people that I've had on the podcast talk about it, just people I've met in day-to-day -day life. And it's it's crazy, and I've said this on the podcast before, but it's crazy to think that a diet could become the vehicle that leads to such, you know, positive progression in one person's life. And it, I mean, it's it's like so many things wrapped into one, like you'd improve your health and then from that, you, you, or you improve your diet and from that you want to, you know, work on your training and then you, want to learn more about you so you dive into the community yes. and you have this this aspect right. of like others it just it just keeps getting better and better yeah yeah for sure for sure i mean in a lot of ways i think it's just uh, people are realizing that it's it's a way to fuel yourself that's more in tune to how we should have been feeding ourselves the whole time you know so i think the whole this phenomenon of processed foods and and you know um, you know food laboratories and things of that nature you know is is such a recent development in human evolution that we weren't, I don't think we were ever cut out for it in the first place. So if you yeah, know yourself totally correctly, agree, man, man it, yeah, it leads to so many amazing things. The tool, the second tool to, uh, for me was mindfulness meditation. I know this isn't something that everybody's uh, into. It's also called mindfulness-based stress reduction. But, you know, I guess if you're depressed or maybe um, you just need some other dimension, you know, 
in your life for uh, relaxation or for getting in tune with your inner world. You know, we all know, we've heard this a million times, right? The most ruthless prison that we have is the one between our ears. Uh, so we're inundated with endless distractions. We have internal dialogue that doesn't seem to care when you need to concentrate on something. It's just constantly going. Worrying mm-hmm. about the future, uh, often irrational worries, right? And for depressed people, we have this constant rumination about things that are of little significance to you at that moment, yet they seem to like dominate your thoughts. So you roll that all up into one key point. It's, it's an inability to experience the present moment. That's, that's our default. I don't think we're, by default, we are able to live in the present moment. So to me, if you want a cognitive superpower, you got to train yourself to recognize when the mind has slipped out of the present moment, which it does by default, and train it on how to refocus its attention back into the present moment. Because I found that my big discovery with that was I found that I could not be depressed or sad when I felt present. And there's a lot of great, you could do a hundred podcasts on this subject alone, but there's a lot of great resources out there on how to practice mindfulness meditation. But, you know, I've heard what do you do? say, I do, um, there's a technique called Vipassana that I like to, uh, that I like to practice. Basically, I think a lot of people overcomplicate it. It's just a way to focus your attention. So it's something that needs to be done constantly in order to really work long term. It's usually mm-hmm. just focus on the breathing and bodily sensation, any body sensations that you have. But the key is like when you're training it, you have to treat all sensations, thoughts, ideas, physical as all just objects of consciousness that appear and fall away. And you just need to observe them in equanimity, that all of them sort of being equal. And um, after a while, you'll be able to find yourself recognizing that you sort of slipped out of that present moment and it trains you to gently bring it back, to recognize and to gently bring your attention back into the present moment. It's, it's really, I really consider it like a superpower at this point because I can change a state of mind. That's, for instance, you know, when somebody cuts you off in traffic on the highway and you get that instant anger, like, you know, that frustration, um, that sensation, that feeling is only going to last as long as you keep sort of resurrecting that feeling in your head. You can keep it going for an hour if you want to. And in that hour, you're liable to maybe have a bad phone call with somebody. There's ramifications to those things. So mm-hmm. any any time you can sort of cut the half-life of a negative emotion uh, is always a beneficial thing and just bring yourself back to the present moment. For people, depressed people, or people who just tend to ruminate, or their mind just tend seems to wander, it's a uh, it's a pretty amazing thing. I've gotten a lot of benefit from it. Okay. And what's what's the technique called again? Oh, uh, mindfulness meditation. There's it's a lot of it's based in Buddhism, but the nice part is there's there's a whole uh, there's a whole uh, fragment, there's a whole subset of this type of meditation that's just. You know, it's it's detached from any sort of religious connotation. It you know it has a lot of value in a uh, just as a standalone practice. You know, so you know, depression is ruminating on the past. Anxiety is worrying about the future. But well being is experiencing the present moment, living in the now. And I say that's exactly right. There's a great uh, two people that I would recommend to if you want to learn a lot about it is John Cabot Zinn. He is. He started a mindfulness-based stress reduction clinic at uh, UMass in uh, the late '70s. It was a clinic for people who had nowhere else to turn. 
they were in severe pain. Uh, there was nothing that doctors could really do for them after a certain point because none of the uh, standards of care, none of the conventional techniques were working for them. So this guy took a lot of what he had learned from the East and applied it into sort of a Western clinical context and had a lot of success with it. He has a bunch of books. And another guy is this guy, Sam Harris, who's a, it's like a public intellectual, a thinker. He wrote a book called Waking Up, which uh, is all about uh, mindfulness meditation. And uh, he has, there's a lot of great apps out there too. doesn't matter which one you use. I think just you know, pick one that resonates with you because eventually you won't even need a lot of that stuff. You'll just be sort of meditating and practicing on your own. Yeah, when I, uh, when I was in my contest prep, man, I, I would get, I feel like whenever you're going through something that's really physically and, and mentally exhausting like that, you're, you're much more susceptible to depression. Um, which was like definitely the case for me with, with every contest prep I've ever gone through. Cause it's just maximum effort at all times. And it's just very exhausting. Um, very, very liberating in a sense, but very exhausting. But I would constantly find myself, you know, worrying about the past or getting anxiety over the future. And especially as it relates to food, like when, when so much of your day is centered around the macronutrients that you have to get in. And you're just always hungry. Like it's so easy to crawl into this like food eating disorder based depression, which is not healthy at all. But the best thing for me, hands down, was just simply, you know, listening to one of those meditation apps or even just like a podcast or audiobook, yeah. like a mindset audiobook. Yeah. While also just simply going through a a quick stroll down the street and I would focus and try and fixate all of my attention on like the cars driving by or the trees, like the birds chirping. Like I would, I would try and fixate on my surroundings. So it forces you to be in the moment at the present time. Oh, okay. So you, you might be one of those like naturals that just intuitively, you know, understood how that stuff works. That's pretty cool. Cause it sounds a lot to me like the approach that you took to handle that is very much similar to you know, the approach that meditators take. Um, basically achieve the same goal that that's really cool man and i know i know you're very big on mindset and um mm -hmm. yeah the uh the next tool is physical activity getting after it you know i know your listeners are very well aware of the benefits of that how you know becoming more functional in everyday life and increasing your strength increasing your cardiovascular capacity uh seeing increases in muscle size seeing reduction in body fat levels it helps you live a better life in every way shape or form pretty self-explanatory i'd only add that you know you know when you're starting out a little older like i am you, know, you got to do it wisely you got to keep your risk of injury down and yeah keep uh as low as possible you know i had to learn form i had to really practice form and um and i had to learn that i need you know how to recover properly get the right amount of sleep and just focus on consistency and just keep on showing up. So, you know, all mm -hmm. these things together, uh, you know, all these tools together, this is, this one's another major one because you just can't help improving when you're getting stronger. You see the fruits of your labor. And also to me, one of the most meditative things in the world is being in the middle of a set and there's no way you, your mind can wander. You are about as focused as you could possibly be when you're maxing out on a, on a, a set of squats or, or anything for that matter. I totally agree, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, uh, I don't know, like no matter how bad my life gets in any one moment, if I know, if I at least keep that constant, like if I at least keep my training constant 
and I can look back on that and and recognize that you know if I'm plateauing in every other area of my life, but I'm able to get you know one more rep or one more set or something, then at least some aspect of my life is moving in the right direction. Then it makes it much easier to bounce back and recover from any uh, you know momentary depression. Yeah, it's it's really hard to feel bad when you've just physically exerted yourself, and you know when you're in the middle of doing something like that, that focus is very valuable. It's something that, you know, if you do it long enough, you walk away with it. And that's sort of a form of mindfulness meditation too. Like, you know, you're, it's going to stick with you. if You stay with it. And you, Absolutely. You yeah. Do you listen to music when you train? I don't. No, I don't. I, uh, well, there's usually like music playing overhead if I'm in the gym, but if I go out running, I usually don't listen to music. Uh, I was, I was kind of like, uh, kind of influenced by that whole David Goggins philosophy of, you know, uh, callousing up the mind and just you know, being with yourself and getting through things without that sort of uh, external stimulus. Just, you know, I just listen to my breath, basically. I'm not against it. I'll do it from time to time. But I just, I just like the feeling of using these tools to detach from all the distractions of society that I can just sort of have any other time I'm doing it, you know? That's a personal choice. I like that for sure. Sometimes like music, sometimes I, I will listen to some music if I really need to get pumped up. You know, there's there's some music out there that, you know, without a doubt is going to let me go harder and, and it's just going to inspire me. But I'd say the vast majority of the time, it's just me and what I'm doing. That's the kind of the way I like to do it. No, it makes total sense, man. Like I'll, I'll oftentimes like become too dependent on the music that I'll, I'll remove it completely or... I went through one stage where I would I would try and almost bring in a distraction like in a in a good way, but like yeah. very counter to what I was doing. So I would like be doing, you know, PRs and heavy squats while listening to, you know, opera or some kind oh, of wow. like monk monk jingle or something. I don't know. <laughs> just to, to to really pull me out of that and just put ultimate focus on the actual physical thing at hand. Um but it was it was cool because I would be listening to like you know, monk breathing techniques while doing like 455 on squats. And it would be just like therapeutic in a weird sense of I'm really just wow so hyper-focused on my breathing and the actual muscle fibers popping. Yeah. Whereas like you miss so much of that if you're just like jamming out to some heavy hardcore metal. I mean, you just, you don't pick up on those details, you know? Yeah. Well, in that case, I think that that stuff really kept you extra foe. You get you get like extra bonus points in the meditation world for, you know, working out to monk chants, man. That's hardcore. Bro. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it definitely, I don't, I don't do that all the time. So that's not my norm by any means, yeah. but it was, it's worth trying for sure. And I can totally see like how like that high note at the crescendo of an opera, you know, if you can coincide <laughs> that with that, with that P, with that PR, man, that's gotta be glorious, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, it's like I'm making my own like, movie or something, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I need to try that. I want to try that. Yeah, give it a shot. Give yeah, it a shot. Uh, that could that could very well become a new component of the journey when all is said and done. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so tool number four to me is developing positive social connection. So it's a very lonely, isolated mm -hmm. society out there, man. You know, I was trying to seek out more face to face contact and not rely so much on the virtual world and the social media world to be my community per se. So, you know, it's cool to approach people I think who have interests that my that I myself are curious to learn more about. Was that like a pretty hard transition for you because when you were depressed and like I don't know, you, you said that you had like really bad psoriasis, you know, and I 
like when I had super bad acne, I think I've talked about this on my podcast before, but I had really, really bad acne and I was so self-conscious and I was definitely depressed when I had really bad acne, but I had like no desire to talk to anybody. I would like not look people in the eye. I wouldn't ever ask a girl out. Like it was just like pathetic. And you you avoid people like so much to the point where it's almost hard to function. So how did you break through that to involve more human interaction? Yeah, particularly bad when you're depressed. So you have these problems internally and then the psoriasis where you have physical external things that, you know, people are always staring at and you're always conscious of it. It's this elephant in the room that's always there. So, you know, developing the social connections was hard on me seeking it from other people and other people, you know, trying to reconnect with me. Um, so, yeah, that was that was really difficult thing to do. And particularly when you get stuff like that when you're 12 years old, man, you know, that's the most impressionable years of your life. So I'm here I am going through school, not wanting to take my shirt off in the locker room to change, not wearing, not being able to wear pants in the summertime. It's 100 degrees out. So a lot of my interactions with people were mostly transactional, you know, going through life and just dealing with uh, just people out there at the gas station, you know, fill her up or um, nothing that really deep. Or, but I also found that it was easy to fall in with a lot of people who are negative and you know you can get into these and get into these uh, situations where you commiserate with people and you have almost developed this codependency around commiserating and <laughs> and that mm -hmm. just that feeds that feeds the beast uh, that much more you know that just the cloud so i would say um you know uh isolation is is a protective mechanism and uh it's hard to do it but you know i if you care about people and there's people out there that are out for your best interest you know, then it's, it's, uh, it's worth putting yourself out there and, and just developing it. You know, I'm never somebody that say has a tremendous amount of close friends, a lot of acquaintances, especially now things are really good now, but, um, I've through this all, I've developed some of the best closest social connections I've ever had in my life. And so mm -hmm. for that it's almost been worth it. All that horrible stuff has almost been worth it just for the people I could say that I have in my life now. So, um, it really forced me to think about like that, the depth of, you know, social connections, right? If you think about it, we need them. We really need them. You know, humans, what, like fat way, way back in the day, you know, if you didn't have a group of people around to support you, if you found yourself alone out on that African savanna, you were most likely ready to probably going to be killed by something. I mean, you know, I think isolation is deeply rooted in us as a very dangerous negative thing you know connection is there's a security in connection just ask any prisoner sitting in solitary confinement how important social contact is any kind of social contact completely agree with that yeah it's um like the sense of community is 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 huge and yeah honestly like for me you know people think i'm constantly pumping out this content you know in the keto space all this information just because I care so much about the other person, which is true to an extent for sure. Like I do care deeply for everybody that's ever consumed any of my content. Like that is my oxygen. And I have like this undying loyalty to, to that whole space, everybody out there. That shows. Um, but at the same time, it's like the, there's the other side of the coin is that me doing that is hugely beneficial for me because it gives me a sense of belonging. Like I, I get the emails, you know, of people saying that I've made an impact in their life somehow or another. 
they give me some, they give me advice or, or just something like it, 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 it's a way for me to give, but then also indirectly a way for me to receive because it gives me that sense of belonging, belonging, which everybody needs, you know? Yeah. I like the way you said that too. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. It's almost like, um, there's a benefit. You actually derive a self benefit from giving your unto yourself to other people. And I think that's what it's really all about. You know, I think it's about being reciprocal. It's not about one sided one way or the other. You know, it's all about yeah, reciprocity, man. reciprocity. It's all about the group dynamic. It's all about, it's all about people being people. We're all in this together, man. We're so much more similar 100%. than, than, you know, we, we like to think, but in the end, you know, you probably look at almost anybody you encounter in a, in the course of a day. And, you know, they're having a lot of the same things going on as you do, you know, why it just makes all the sense in the world, knowing what life is all about, how hard it can be, how good it could be and all the things that we're all going to experience and how indefinite and impermanent everything is. Why wouldn't you just be kind to people just because just knowing that much, just knowing that alone is reason enough, you know? Yeah. There's just this, there's such a, you know, hate and division amongst people. And it, it, it makes me sad because like, you know, we're, we're, we're all people, you know, like I, I truly, truly believe that I can learn something great from every single individual out there, even if it's like what not to do. 100%. But even if it is what not to do, it's still worth my complete open mindedness and time. So I truly try and give everybody that I ever come in contact with my full attention and time out of respect for humanity. You know, we'll just go broad with it. Yeah. But doing that is, is absolutely Honestly, I think probably the single most beneficial thing and character trait that I have that I've been able to to grow and benefit from, both in adding value to others and receiving value myself, but just simply giving people time, treating them all as equals, and then ap- actually having an open mind to everything that they put out. Yeah, you have so much more opportunities and, and uh, experiences open up to you. Now, not everybody is going to be like, the nicest, greatest person you ever met. I, I totally recognize that. Believe me, I, growing up, I certainly got that message. You know, when you're in the situation I am, there was a lot of cruelty and, you know, and taunting and bullying involved. But, but um, that's okay. You can sidestep those people. But, you know, everything, everybody needs that initial chance. And, you know, like you said, there's probably something to be learned for good, bad from pretty much everybody that you come across. So you can benefit and, you know, and that stuff can, can, you know, you can always, take that information, pay it forward and, and, you know, always bring new people into the fold. You know, you eventually you just start accumulating. Yeah. yeah, The positivity begets more positive. And I think negativity will beget more negativity depending on how you handle it. hundred percent agree, man. hundred percent agree. So uh, this one, I think you'll like, man, tool number five, this one's very near and dear to me too. It's tapping into your creativity. For me, I'm a musician, man. I used to be a drummer on the central Florida cover music scene. Now, you know, I'm playing acoustic and singing covers and originals. I once in a while I play like benefits for causes, and you know, this year my goal is to just get out and play as a working performer out in like restaurants and clubs and stuff like that all over New Jersey. So you know, mm-hmm. creativity, man. It's you know, utilizing imagination brings something into existence that didn't exist previously. You know, it could be a thought, an art form, a product, a business. But um, I understand the importance of this, but I've heard you speak on the subject, man, and I, I want to get actually your philosophy on the importance of tapping into creativity because um, 
when I've heard you speak on the subject, man, I, I really was impressed with how you laid it out and how you thought about it all. So I want to actually sit back and, uh, and absorb what you got to say on this subject. Do you by chance remember what I was speaking on? Like, was it a podcast or was it a video? I think it was more in the context of um, how maybe some people will take, will sort of co-opt other people's creative ideas. But in the end, that's not a solution and that's not going to stop something that's truly innovative and creative from taking on that life of its own and, and growing and eventually like being the prevailing, the prevailing thing in the end, you know, sort of to that effect. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. For me, I don't know, like this, this hit, hits home on a lot of different ways because a lot of people think of creativity and they think, you know, you're, you're like a, an actor or a painter or a musician Yeah. and like, that, that's that's definitely a form of creativity, but that is not the end-all be-all for creativity by any means. I mean, my dad, for instance, is convinced that he has no creativity whatsoever, but I look at my dad and I think he's incredibly creative. Like right. he's, a, he's a, he's a professor, but he's, he's learned how to do anything he's ever wanted to do. Like he learned how to be a blacksmith. Like he built his own blacksmith forge and he goes and, and forges just things out of metal whenever he wants to. I mean, like to me, that's a huge illustration of his level of creativity. Yeah, and tremendous. Everybody has, everybody has something like when, when you were a kid, you had a huge amount of imagination. Like that imag imagination seems to wane as people get older because they don't tap into it as often, but it doesn't mean it dies. Like you have to actively try and tap into that imagination and think outside of the societal norms that people are pushed into. But when you do that and you imagine what your life or a life or the world would be like with this new thing in it or this spin on something that is there but could become so much better or just simply thinking outside the black and white boxes that we paint ourselves in um you know and like you said that can take the shape of of anything for me that has largely taken the shape of you know business like business is a great way for me to tap into my entrepreneurial creativity because there's no other business out there that is exactly like the business I'm building. Like it's a blank canvas for me to paint my own picture and build my own thing. And like I've tried to do that with Keto Brick. I'm trying to do that with Keto Savage. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to do that with many other business ventures I've got in the works right now. But whatever that art form may be, it's important that you tap into it and then maximize your own potential towards it because it, it, gives you such a greater frame of perspective on the rest of your life. And then it gives you something worth living for. Like if you have no creativity throughout your day, there's nothing to get excited about. Like creativity, imagination, like those are the things that excite you. Like people always say, I want to find happiness. Happiness is arbitrary. Like there's no way to quantify that. But finding excitement in your life equates to happiness. So rather than searching for happiness, search for what makes you excited and then maximize that. Yeah. I mean, when you get into that creative flow state, there's, you can't argue that it is just something that is, it's almost another realm that you exist on. You know, um, I like the way that you put it. And, um, for me, that's something that I'm exploring a lot more at this point. So, you know, tapping into uh, creativity is something that I've just, you know, I've always been doing it, but I want to find new and deeper ways to do that. Um, the last, the last one of these uh, dimensions, just the last tool, the sixth tool, to me, this one's about, you know, putting things into perspective, you know, which is 
you know, experiencing some form of deep, profound connection to something greater than yourself. You know, for a lot of people that that might be a religious thing in nature, but it doesn't need to be. Um, for me, it really takes the form of being out in nature. You know, uh, mm-hmm. there's a lot of people. I grew up in a in a city, and I, there wasn't that exposure to it. You know, maybe we'd have like a park or something like that. But uh, I think it's important to have the natural world uh, involved in your life because I think it's something that we're just sort of tuned into as human beings. You know, just like any living thing that's sort of removed from its natural habitat, is, I think is going to suffer ill effects. And I don't think you know we're really any different. But um, the one that really hit home for me was uh, you ever see the picture of the uh, the Hubble Ultra Deep Field, the Hubble Telescope Ultra Deep mm-hmm. Field? First time I saw that. There's 10,000 objects in that photo. So every single one of those objects in there are entire galaxies. <laughs> and those are, just, those are just the ones visible to us. So that's a tiny pinpoint perspective on the whole universe. Yet there's 10,000 galaxies in that little slice. You know, 13 light from 13 billion years just hitting the lens of this telescope. So, you know, when you try to- That's pretty crazy. It is crazy, you know? And when you try to attempt to wrap your mind around something of that size, that vastness, that unimaginable, of that scale, you know, it's just really, you can't help but think that we're a small component of something that's just really awe-inspiring. So, you know, it only it only follows suit that, you know, you can't help thinking that some of the things that may seem so important in, in your head or are really not really that important in the grand scheme of things, you know? It's that humbling that complete humbling that really puts it into perspective. Oh, and one other cool fact, man, that, that picture was taken just southwest of Orion. So I thought that was a really cool connection that you might have. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just kind of stumbled on that fact. I want to share that with you. Yeah, for anybody that doesn't know, my middle name's Orion, which is Constellation of Stars, the Hunter. Can I ask you how... Uh, how uh, you, you got that middle name in? It's cool. I was, I was curious. I've never heard of that as a middle name before. Well, I, well, basically, I mean, from what my folks told me, um, my dad's name is Robert and his dad's name is Robert. So my, my dad wanted to name me Robert, um, which he obviously did. But my mom wanted my my first name to be Hunter instead of Robert. But Robert won, won that battle. And uh, both my dad and his dad's middle name was Smith or is Smith. But I didn't, I mean, they didn't want me to be Robert Smith Sykes the third. So they kind of, you know, combined Hunter and changed my middle name to Orion, which means the Hunter. And for me, it's just incredibly cool because like, no matter where I'm at in the world, I can look up in a night sky and see the constellation I was named after. It was just, I don't know, like, it's, it's, like, there's not really any specific meaning to it, I guess, like, but it's just really deep and, I don't know. I really am proud of that. Yeah, it's personal to you. It's it's a cool name too. That's um. But I love the idea of looking at the vastness yeah, of life. Yeah. To gain perspective, man. Like for me, I'll go. I love hiking. I love hiking and hunting and fishing and being outdoors. But you know, whenever I go hiking, especially in the mountains, like the mountains, really bring that you know perspective to the forefront of my mind. Because I'll go hike out on the cliffs edge or something and see these mountain ranges that span for miles. And like just a sheer rock face that's been there for hundreds of thousands of years. And that rock's going to be here long after I'm dead and gone. And it really just brings the forefront of my mind that 
life is a beautiful thing and I am just but a blip in the timeline of life. Right. So I have a finite amount of time to maximize the life that I have and hopefully leave this world a better place than it was when I was, you know, came into it. But having that perspective and knowing that the world's going to keep on going and your existence is an opportunity and it's a privilege, it really brings to the forefront of your mind to truly make the most of it and not squander it, you know? 100%. Probably the most, probably the truest thing that, you know, that really describes, you know, what life is all about. I, I, I couldn't agree more, man. That's, uh, that's the six things that I, you know, came up with. I know there's, there's a lot more out there, but those, those, those are the things that I've sort of narrowed it down to at this point on this journey. And, uh, I just, and I, I would just probably throw one in at this point. I would say I, I should have probably mentioned this earlier is that's having like true gratitude. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. It's yeah. a really good one. Just for being alive and just I for think, having the opportunity to, to, you know, just to make a, make a positive difference, to be here. And, uh, and I'm grateful that you had me on today, my friend. <laughs> oh, absolutely, man. Absolutely. It's uh, like I said in the beginning, it's, it's an honor for me to be able to bring people on from all different walks of life because, you know, you can share your story. Another podcast guest can share their story and whoever's listening can find some degree of, uh, you know, something that relates with them or resonates with them. And then it, it just benefits the whole. Um, so yeah, I, I appreciate you jumping on here, man. What, what, what's next for you? Like, what, what are you excited about going forward? Okay. Well, this year, um, I have, I have goals in a lot of different areas right now. My the fitness goals, I, uh, I started January off, you know, uh, doing a, uh, my first 26 mile rowing marathon. And that was a big milestone. Uh, something I couldn't have envisioned myself doing a short time ago. And, uh, this year I'm, I think I'm going to try to run my first sprint triathlon. I think I'm going to try to, uh, maybe actually run, um, uh, a running marathon. And I'm, I don't know, I was thinking about trying to get into that, <laughs> that thousand pound club, you know, where you, you combine squat, deadlift and bench press totals a thousand pounds. That would be it. a cool goal. You know what I mean? I think it's doable. And, um, I got a lot of work on my bench though, man. I got a lot of work on that, but, um, musically. I am working on becoming just a working acoustic solo performer, just playing uh, all over New Jersey. And I am working right now. I'm very close to getting uh, uh, like a uh, accredited fitness trainer certification. And uh, I think I have an opportunity at a couple of places. I want to start, you know, like being able to train with and help people that were in my situation. You know, there's plenty of people out there more qualified than I am to train younger people, you know, for, you know, maybe for competitions or, or, you know, for athletic performance, but somebody that was in my position, maybe he's getting a little older and thinks it's too late to start. Maybe he's on medications. Maybe he's, uh, maybe he's had, you know, a rough time up until now and doesn't really think that change is possible. Those are the people that I want to really work with. And I can kind of stand there and, and feel like I'm a credible example that, things are definitely possible. So that's, that's really what totally 2019, agree, man. 2019 I think is mostly going to be about for me. I love it. I love it. Do you have any like, uh, you know, samples of your music that I can link out to or anything that people can hear what you're playing? Oh yeah. I would love that, man. I have, um, you know, the, probably the best thing to do would be to check out my Instagram account. Um, it is at driven and obsessed. So that's a little something I, I kind of got from Goggins, you know, he, he said, Motivation, yeah. you know, motivation 
is fleeting, but you got to become driven and then eventually become obsessed. So his philosophies are really infecting my brain in the last year. But yeah, there's samples of me uh, playing some acoustic stuff. And then there's also some, uh, you know, just some workout stuff. So people can, you know, just kind of get a, get a feel for, you know, the guy that you're talking to today. You know, I'm not an academic. I don't have degrees in anything like this. Um, you know, I just have my business degree is just from uh, my community college. And um, um, that's about it. I'm sort of the guy. I'm probably a guy that's walking around every gym in America right now. You know, I'm your, uh, I'm your everyday kind of guy who uh, trying to tap into some more extraordinary and deeper things at this point. And it's never too late. See, it's never too late. Absolutely, man. And that's the beauty of it. Like a lot of people get hung up on certifications and qualifications and, you know, acronyms at, at the end of your name. But at the, at the end of the day, what experiences and perspectives you can bring to the table, I think all carry significantly more weight than any, you know, specific certification or accolade you know like what what you've done with your life what you've been able to replicate with your life and what perspective you have as a result of that is going to have a lot more pull with anybody that you're trying to make an impact on and that's that's the end goal you know yeah absolutely 100 percent. you know the i think the certification is useful in terms of like just showing some sort of baseline competency in a lot of places that you know maybe uh that would hire they sort of need that as sort of like the, uh, that's the barrier to entry. But yeah, once you get past that, right. um, you know, for a person like me, who's probably going to start out in the clubs that I actually work out in right now. Um, but once, yeah, it is that experience. It's that, it's that uh, caring, it's that you know, hard earned true knowledge that, and that real like ability to connect and, and be em em empathic with the people that you're training. I think that's going to make all the difference. And hopefully, you know, Hopefully I can be that guy and uh, I would love nothing more than to just, you know, keep contributing something positive. And then I can look back later on and, and be very satisfied, you know, when all is said and done. I think that's all, really, that's what it's all about in the end. Completely agree, man. We'll, we'll keep doing what you're doing. I mean, you've gone beyond just getting your own life back on track and, and you know, being healthy with your own thoughts and who you are as a person. But to be able to take that and then pay it forward and help other people that may have been in a similar situation as you, that... That is very commendable, man. So I appreciate you. Thank you, my friend. Appreciate that a lot. And I just want to say, like, you know, whoever's out there, if they're interested, you know, reach out, you know, send me a DM. I want to hear about your stories and I want to, you know, maybe connect with a bunch of you. And if there's anything we can do, anything we can do together to, you know, where I can share any of my, you know, knowledge or learn from you, I would love that opportunity. So I just want to put that out there as well. I love it. I love it. Well, keep doing what you're doing, Mark. I really appreciate it, man. Thanks, Robert. Hey, man, it was it was really great talking to you, my friend. I really I had a blast. And a lot of this was the first time that this has really ever come out of my mouth. So this was a this was a pretty uh, big day for me, man. I'm, I just thank you for giving me the opportunity to actually, you know, speak to something that important. No, absolutely. Thank you, man. I appreciate you taking the time. Like, it's uh, it's been a pleasure. It's been an honor to have you on the show. And if there's ever anything I could do, just You've got my contact info, so just let me know. Great. Appreciate it, buddy. All right. Have a good one. We'll be in touch for sure. Thanks, bud. Talk to you soon. Take care.